I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're now on the fourth lesson of our second quarter of 2022. The whole quarter we're studying the book of Genesis, and this week we're looking at the flood. I kind of like these lessons. The whole quarterly is just Genesis. Each lesson is the fall, the flood, the whatever. So it's very so far, so good. Yeah, very fair, straightforward. And this one covers exactly what you would expect it to. The flood. Uh, the flood and all the things connected to it. So I don't really know how to make it uh, any more intriguing than that. The jig is up and the, it's pretty straightforward. All uh, right. Well, what are our talking points? Our talking well, points? Well, we, should we do, begin with a word of Yeah, let, let, let's, let's breathe for a second. First of all, we forgot to mention that you can get talking points on a podcast. It is true. That is true. I listen to things on Spotify and we're on Spotify and there are other major platforms that you can find the talking points. So... There we're are not other on the Apple platform yet. Just I think there's some, some sort it's, of it's coming. Yeah. yeah, but the point is there are other programs who've already gotten to the term talking point for their title. So if you want to find ours, you go to Sabbath School Talking Points, and you should be able to find whatever you need. But that way, mm-hmm. I had my my wife mention the other day. It's like I heard you and Mark on Talking Points. It's like what you listen to a Talking Points? Oh yeah, it's on Spotify now. So I listen to it. So you can do it I housework see. and chores or whatever you want. Anyway, that's not the point of our lesson this week. Just wanted to plug that. But we were about to dive into our talking points, and you were about to provide an opening word of prayer. That's right. All right. I was jumping the gun a little bit, and you that's, okay. that's what happened. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the testimony of your word. Lord, as we study this week in the book of Genesis, we do pray your Holy Spirit would guide us, give us understanding in your truth, a practical understanding, Lord, for these last days, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was thinking as we went into this, because our memory verse is... As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the you know coming of the Son of Man be. So it's comparing that, and I thought we had a quarterly a little while back that was present truth in the book of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Well, last week we were looking at Cain and Abel, how they typified the two worshippers at the end of time, and now we've got the flood, which typifies <laughs> the end of time. Yes. Could have present truth in the book of Genesis. <laughs> it's almost as though all of these things were written for our admonition upon, upon whom the ends of the earth will come. Well, you know. no, let's praise the Lord. We're going to find practical lessons for end time. Well, living. tell us what the talking points of those practical lessons are going to be, Pastor Cameron. Talking point number one, wickedness grieves the Lord. That's coming from Sabbath afternoon. The whole talking point there is only kind of alluded to in Sabbath, but if you look at the text of Scripture, that seems to be one of the key issues with leading up to the mm. flood. It's not just that wickedness is wrong, but it actually hurts God. And we're going to talk mm. about that. Okay? Excellent. Talking point number two. Sabbath afternoon. Yeah. Where I mentioned that part. All right. Talking point number two. The flood was a manifestation of God's justice and mercy. So, you know, mm. we think of it as an execution of judgment, but there's clear evidence of his mercy in the flood narrative. And we're going to see that from Sunday and Monday's uh, quarterly lessons. And finally, talking point number three, God's first post-flood action was a covenant of redemption. And that's from Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That as soon mm. as they step out of the boat, the Lord is ready to start all over again, and he builds on these covenant promises, and he's such a good God, and there's practical application for us, of course, in that today. Looking forward to this. All right, so let's go back to that number one. Yeah. Wickedness grieves the Lord. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 6, where the flood story is introduced, and I'll give a little context for that. In the last week's study, it was about Cain and his descendants and and the, the, the trouble that came from his rebellion, right? And then we have, and that was in chapter 4. Right, which basically led up to the need for the flood. Exactly. And so it kind of hopped over. There was a little, how do I say this, a little 
toe into Genesis 5 in the lesson that you covered last yes. week. And there's a little ref- allusion to it in chapter 6 as we begin this week. But we kind of skip over Genesis chapter 5 and... That's that's a little troublesome because really when we get to chapter 6, it's the confluence of the rebellion of 4 and its impact on the faithful in 5. So that when we get to chapter 6, verse 1, we read, Now it came to pass when men begin to multiply on the face of the earth. So you already get the, uh, right. like time is going on, uh, men, are multipl- uh, men begin to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took for themselves why took wives for themselves of all whom they chose now there are the the, the script that the scripture the, the lesson. lesson referred to some and we probably heard this before people aren't sure what to do with that sons of god daughters of men and no, make, I, taking wives. the lesson just says daughters of men does, doesn't it the lesson actually doesn't actually use the phrase or sons of men is yes. what it does it doesn't use daughters it doesn't and i'm not interesting i don't want to read into why that is but it says you know there's the sons of god and there's the sons of men well they didn't intermarry sons and sons these are yeah. this is a anyway for whatever reason well, it could be for the for the fact that that a lot of Churches will have translated this to mean that the sons of God were angels and the daughters exactly. of men were humans, and so maybe the lesson's trying to get away from that and just say. But the clearer they're, understanding, they're if humans. you just read through Scripture, is yes. that there's the there's the uh, pure line of faith in Genesis five mm-hmm. became eventually right. corrupted with the uh, wicked line that was so outlined last week from Cain, from Cain and, and right. now we come to the wickedness that is abundant on the earth. Yes. And if you skip down, Mark, why don't you read verses uh, five and six there in Genesis six? I'm sorry, you had your Bible open. I just I did skipped right past it. But I would have left it open, but you know, in Genesis six, it kind of. You know, kind of. It doesn't balance out nicely, does it? No. Genesis 6, what did you say, 5 Why don't you and 6? read 5 and 6, yeah. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And mm. the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Mm. And why don't you read verses 11 and 12 to kind of supplement that a little bit? The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Notice what you see here is that not only is it wickedness that's happening, but God's view of it, his his investigation of it. Well, it's interesting to talk about even in, in that that the, what does it say, the Lord was grieved in his heart. Right. You don't think of, of of God in that sense, like just from a from. This is a very personal, almost a human yes. response. It, anyway, well, and, and it's well, not a human response. It's not human because he is divine, but it is emotive. It's, and the question yes. is, does God have that capacity? I thought we were just had the weakness of emotion. Apparently, yeah. uh, like the 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 joy of love and the grief of rebellion and wickedness. Well, even is when you talk about when you ask that, God. I can't help. When you ask, it, does God have that capacity? As with God, all of his capacities are infinite. Mm. So not only does he have that, you know, I say that because sometimes we act like, it's funny, some people will say things like, man, doesn't God see all this evil that's going on? Why does he let it go on? As if somehow I feel more deeply than God feels. I'm more perceptive to the true need than even God. And so, yes, he has that capacity to an infinite degree. Well, and that's one of the first things I want to talk about in this talking point is let's think about 
what capacity the Lord has to see. He mm. doesn't just see the fruit of the life and the, and the lamentable oh. outcomes of bad decisions. He sees repeatedly, 1 Samuel 16, 7, you know, the Lord does not see as man sees. He looks, yes. man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen talks about every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. God can right. bring those out. Psalm, Psalm 44, 21 yeah. about God knowing the secret of the heart. Exactly. And so when God on. looks at man, he doesn't just see the countenance and the affect and even mm. the actions and effects. He sees the true heart, the character, yes. the motive behind everything. And that's when you go to Genesis 6, verse 5. Let's look at that passage again, where it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man, so the Lord is seeing, mm-hmm. but he's seeing as he only he can see, right? That it was great in the earth. And you could put a period there, mm-hmm. but it goes on to say, And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, so you have the words mm-hmm. intent, you have the words thoughts, you have of his heart, all of which is hidden yes. to view from us. But, but God can very, see it. And very detailed in the, in the, like you could just say the thoughts, his thoughts, the thoughts, why the thoughts mm-hmm. of the heart. All of this is trying to imply there's a very inner thing that man can't see, but God is Exactly. Every detail of it. And I had a, a professor one time at, at, uh, in college who talked about, he joked about the department, sounds like the Department of Redundancy Department. You know, how many <laughs> yes. times can you say the same thing? It was every intent was only evil all the time or continually, mm-hmm. right? And as a result, the very next thing we say is that the Lord was sorry that he had made man and he was grieved in his heart. Yes. So you see, in the heart of man, what was going on in there touched the heart of God. Yes. And so God's response to sin is not in a retributive anger. Right. Nor is it a clinical abstraction. It's like, oh, yes. there's their, they've made their limit. Send out the, the, the plagues. It's not like that. This is mm. a struggle even in God to, to reckon with this reality. And to try to remedy it. Yes. In the best way possible to save as many as possible. Yes. Now, to your point earlier, oh, b- by the way, we're g- last week you talked about the parallels to the great controversy. Yes. Think about the parallels to the great controversy mm. here. When we yeah. talk about the, the origin of evil, God saw in Lucifer's so heart. So there in the, last con- in the last chapter, it was the extension of sin as we are in now, mm-hmm. but now we're looking forward to the coming judgment. Well, yes. And I'm thinking of even when God evaluated the heart of Lucifer in heaven, you remember, think of Isaiah 14, where it says, um, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of mine, yes. for you have said in your heart, right. I will exalt, I will ascend. Mm-hmm. And God has seen the heart of evil from the very beginning. Mm. And now he sees that same depravity in mankind who was made in his image, how much that must have hurt. In fact, why don't you read that uh, passage? And you won't find this in the lesson, but it's from Education, Education page 263. Yeah. It says, few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our creator. Every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. Mm. Which brings about that point that wickedness grieves the Lord. That when we study what we're about to study in the destruction of the earth, it wasn't vengeful or retribution or even just abstract clinical justice doing the right thing, getting rid of the bad. This Although was, we could say there are elements of, you know, vengeance is mine, say the of Lord, course. of retribution, but it wasn't pure, like... Exactly, but that's the point, is that God isn't just taking clinical. out some, some anger, and he's not right. distanced from it in an 
in an unemotive way. He mm-hmm. was in this thing, and whatever he's about to do, which we know is about to do, is to destroy the earth with the right. flood. It wasn't like, it certainly didn't bring joy to his heart. Right. It certainly didn't uh, just p- satisfy some paperwork transaction. That it was real for God, and he felt every bit of it. Yeah. Anyway, so that's how the flood is introduced here. Sure. And so we get into the next thing about it. how, talking point number two, the flood was a manifestation of God's justice and his mercy. Yeah. And All of right. course, we think the justice aspect, that's pretty obvious. He destroyed the wicked. Yeah, so it just told it. Really bad, 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 bad. got to go. Where's the mercy found in this? Right. Well, let's talk about, and, and, the, and the, the, list, the lesson this week made an interesting, though I'm not sure essentially necessary, parallel between creation and the flood in the sense that just as creation was mm-hmm. a process that led up to and culminated with man's, you know, inhabitants of, and then they sealed it with the Sabbath. Well, here you have a preparation for the flood and then you have uh, a work of right. destruction that was parallel to the work of creation. Now it is interesting, however, to note how God destroyed the world because if you look back in the creation account, it just said that, that there was waters and he separates the water from the water yeah. And essentially what, and all the rest of creation exists inside of that canopy of waters that God mm-hmm. makes. Well, now how does he go about destroying the earth? He's essentially going to collapse those canopies. of. And please, as we talked about, let's not mm-hmm. let people get, we, we don't want to speculate into the nature of the water above and the mm-hmm. water. But I'm thinking of like, you know, water above as we see it now and clouds and, and whatnot. And there's rivers and waters and even a subterranean, you know, Things we know the uh, what is it the so dip, the depths broke forth you know I'm looking at your notes and this first part is I I think we brought it up in here before but one of those things that makes you go hmm yeah but the heart of this yes is this issue of justice and mercy so it's interesting the lesson brings out some interesting potential parallels right. so the same God who created now destroys right because he has to has to deal with this problem mm-hmm. but at the height of this. The uh, destruction, right? Why don't yeah. you read Genesis chapter 8, verse 1? Sure. Genesis. Well, in fact, why don't you read verses 1 through, let's say, 3? Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Okay. Now, interestingly, the last verse of chapter 7 says, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Mm -hmm. So you have this, the waters prevailed on the earth. And now, if you look at the broader context, they've covered every high mountain. Everything is... And then, at the apex of the destruction, then God remembered Noah. Mm-hmm. Now, the lesson I think does a good job of bringing this out, that when it says God remembered, it's like later on he's going to say it with the, with the rainbow. I'll see that and I'll remember. He wasn't cooking dinner somewhere. Like, ah, like, oh, there's oh, a flood a on. I got to <laughs> turn off the right. tap. No, the, the, this is a volitional planned. Um, yeah, God, God had set a time. Yes. He knew what was necessary in duration of punishment, which is interesting when you talk about justice, even go to the end of time, the Bible talks Mm. about duration of punishment. It's not arbitrary. None of it is. Mm -hmm. And when the time had come, he's like, okay, now's the time to, as you were, the tap off, whatever. Now is is the time I need to start to roll this back, whatever. And we don't have an insight into how or when or why God chose 150, why why the depth, we don't know. One day we will. Exactly. But for now we know that God, in the midst of that, remembered Noah. Exactly. And that essentially, and this lesson brought this out too, that 
God's plan is to restore and to redeem. So you had to destroy first, which, man, if you want to talk about a parallel to your own personal life, Mm. if you want to live a new life, you have to die to the old life, right? It's not a modification of, it's not like God just kind of tweaked the old world and it got a little better, that there is a complete death and a complete new birth that's expected. And this is basically a, a representation that we see lived out in the flood experience. So the upshot of the whole thing is that throughout the flood story, even though it is a destruction of the wicked and it's an evidence of God's justice in doing so, we still see evidence of God's concern for mankind's redemption. And are you looking up this point? Because I don't want to move on if you've got a real thought in your head. We've got to Yeah, I am looking up a point. But uh, this, uh, in the birth of Christ, in, it was spoken to Mary. Simeon spoke to Mary in Luke chapter 2 and verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which be spoken against, and Ellen White, and, and it goes on to say, "Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." And Ellen White comments on that. I remember reading that and thinking, you know, you think of the fall and rising of many in Israel, uh, and we always talk about rising and falling. Mm. You know, any of the order of that. But Ellen White's very specific that that to receive Christ, she says, many must fall on the rock and be broken and then rise again mm. to newness of life. So the very thing you're saying, Fair even thing. in the prophecy, like this was the purpose of Christ coming. And in order to have that new life, you have to be broken before you can rise again mm. into the newness of life. So, Well, that's a great point. And to continue with this theme that God, even through the flood, was demonstrating his mercy, because mm. he had this plan for the rising afterwards, the plan for the new life to come after the destruction was completed. And I see evidence of that. For instance, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, we read, Mm -hmm. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. And you think, okay, he's about to execute justice now. But it says, For he is indeed flesh, yet his day shall be 120 120 So he gives him 120 years. Well, why didn't he just execute judgment the moment he saw it in his heart? Well, he's giving time, right? For what? For repentance, right? And um, think about during that 120 years, it wasn't just just random time that God prepared an ark so that at the end of that 120 years, anyone who wanted to could have the opportunity for salvation and specifically Noah and his family and the rest and the samples of all, you know, animal life would go through that experience and could start over. So he's already planning for salvation on the other end of it. And according to scripture, second Peter two, five, that Peter, uh, uh, sorry, that Noah was, quote, a preacher of righteousness. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't just giving them time and just to see what would happen, or and he wasn't just building a boat over there, but during that time, he's preaching to the people, making appeals to get on the boat so that when the destruction comes, you can be saved out from it and be part right. of this new creation. Well, I can't help but think about, in that context, Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Exactly. That's spoken in context of the second coming of Christ, which we sit mm-hmm. as recipients of. That we're the ones to herald that message of Seventh-day Adventists, and we've got people in church like, ah, oh, the Lord said he was going to come, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. And as if God has forgotten his promise, instead of real 
realizing that he has just been merciful as he was to the antediluvian world. We've been 177 plus years since 1844, and we could say, well, God, you know, has God forgotten? No, it's like the 120 years before the flood. Well, not only is it like that, but that's exactly what Peter said in the preamble to what you just read, right? Mm -hmm. Verse 5, for this they willfully forget that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, speaking of creation, by which, that same water, the world that had then existed perished, being flooded with water. But mm-hmm. the heavens are... It parallels the same thing is happening now. So if we're looking for a parallel between the flood story and our time, it's drawn explicitly in the scriptures. We don't just have to like think it up and like, ooh, that's a novel idea. The scripture itself says this is what it's going to be like in the last days, that God is merciful He's going to give mm. time and opportunity for repentance, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, I, ha- I don't have time to read all this. It's not in the lesson, but Patriarchs and Prophets 100 mm-hmm. says, Love no less than justice demanded that God's judgment should put a check on sin. Mm. And then she goes on to say, she quotes from 2 Peter 3, 5 to 7 about this. Mm-hmm. Dave, and then she says, another storm is coming. The earth will again be swept by the desolating wrath of God, and sin and sinners will be destroyed. The sins that call for the vengeance upon the antediluvian world exist today. Exactly right. So just making that tie in. And and so a lot of times we think of the ones who are destroyed, and we forget that... The, the God's judgment should put a check on sin. What about the ones who want to follow God and they don't want to indulge in sin? They, mm-hmm. Then God gives those who want to indulge in sin an opportunity, and when they've rejected it, for the sake at least of those living. Yes. Well, and what that we, is another aspect of things. Well, the other thing, too, is that not only was the... You look at the lifespans before the flood. Mm-hmm. They're in the hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, approaching a thousand right. years. But as soon as the flood happens afterwards, you start seeing those go down. Mm-hmm. Because God in his mercy is putting a limit yeah. to our capacity for living and spreading and deepening yes. wickedness. So mercy is woven all through this justice Absolutely. Act. Anyway, now, if you recall, oh man, man, our clock is running. We just got so much to cover here. But the upshot of what I was going to bring up next was that In our previous quarter, we looked at the book of Hebrews and we looked at chapter 11, the hall of faith, Mm -hmm. and Noah is included in there as an example of one who by faith acted. That's right. Coming back to your talking point from last week, that true faith or true worship is always manifest in obedience. Mm -hmm. Noah didn't just believe that the flood was going to come. When God told him to do a thing, he did it. That's right. And he put his faith into action. And that's why anyone was saved through it for the preservation of life. He obeyed. So, I'm going to skip on down to point number three now, unless you had another point you wanted to draw out there. Well, you had had in the, in the notes, and I think it's a good point, you, first of all, the, the quarterly Sunday, paragraph five, made the point that Noah was saved simply because he had faith to do what God commanded him to do. He was an early example of faith that manifests itself in obedience, mm-hmm. and you just made that point as well. And it also makes an interesting point that uh, Tuesday, paragraph four, faith does not exclude the duty to think, to seek, and to see if what we learned is true. Sometimes there's this idea that faith means we just blindly believe and accept, mm-hmm. but true faith believes what God says, but it doesn't. That doesn't. That causes us actually to investigate more of what He said, not less. Mm. Well, so, and the, what they were drawing from there, and is obviously in the flood story. After the waters had receded, but before the door had been opened. Noah starts to investigate the circumstances. He yes. sends out the birds, you know, and mm-hmm. one comes back, and you know the story. And so even though when he gets a token that things might be well enough to go back, he doesn't open the door. He doesn't burn mm. down the... He waits for the Lord, and the 
Patriots and Prophets, that's yeah. 105 in the quarterly Tuesday, paragraph 5, says, As he had entered at God's command, he waited for special directions to depart. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're looking for a life application, think through things, examine it, uh, uh, reason from cause to effect, yes. try to see all the angles of it. But at the end of the day, you only act as you know the Lord is directing. And I think that's a great all lesson All right, diving to number three. Yes, God's first we post-flood gotta... action was a covenant of redemption. Why don't you look up Genesis 6.18, and I'll look up Genesis 8.20-22. Genesis what we're gonna 6, see here 18, but is, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Okay, now he says, I will establish my covenant, now get in the ark, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So this is before the flood. Then after the flood, in chapter 8, Verses 20, 22 says, Then Noah built it. This is after they get out of the ark, of yes. course. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. By the way, in the lesson they said, this is the first mention of an altar in scripture. And my thing is, well, it may be the word altar, but yeah. clearly there's been sacrifices, yes. sacrifices before. But anyway, mm-hmm. verse 21, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as, uh, as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and hum- summer, and day and night shall not cease. Mm-hmm. So he goes into the ark with this promise of a covenant, and as he comes out, he says, now I'm making it with you. So there's a there's a bookend yes. of promise here. It's also important to bring up, we've done this, and I want to be consistent, that the covenant was tied to Noah going out, offering sacrifice, which pointed forward to Christ. Of course. This is not a new thing. This is the, and we talked about the old and the new, the old covenant being the people's promises to obey God. That mm. The reality is the original covenant that is the everlasting covenant. God made with Adam and Eve. God made with Abraham. God made with Noah. And all the way through, it's the covenant of salvation in Christ. Well, what I think is interesting, too, is remember we studied last quarter, the, the issue that God said, oh, that they might have a heart yes. in them to obey this, right? The Lord knows. He said, I will never again curse him. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. He's, mm-hmm. he's like, I know what's in there, yes. but I'm still going to be faithful on my end. Amen. I think that's great. Anyway, and of course, like Adam and Eve, now Noah and his wife and his family are the, the only family on the planet again. So they have to start over. And much like God's uh, promise with Adam... And his instructions, be mm-hmm. fruitful and multiply, and you'll have dominion. The yeah. same thing is given to Noah. Well, here. you know, and w- lest we go over this too quickly, you know, I don't know what's going to happen by the time this airs, but we're in the midst of this war between Russia and Ukraine, and people mm. are like, is nuclear war going to come and destroy the world? And and so this promise yes. that as long as the earth continues, God says there's going to be seed time and harvest. Yes. There's going to be seasons. And so uh, that's an Ill- that's a that's a promise to us from the Lord, uh, uh, obviously there'll be wars and rumors of wars, but the earth is not going to be destroyed by that. Well, in fact, I was looking that passage up, but you know, in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus does mention wars yes. and rumors of wars, he said, but see that you're not troubled. See that you're not for the end is not yet, right? That's right? So we know the world will end, but it's not going to end that way. God says, same thing with the flood, yes. and we're going to see this next week with the Babel builders. They lose sight of that promise, and they start constructing themselves a plan B in case the right. flood comes again. Well, you were going to, and I think this is where you're going, but you and I had this conversation recently that as much as Jesus gave the signs in the world around us, the the, the sign that really is going to matter is the sign in the church, where the mm. church is. Uh, all the events of the world, God is holding back the four winds until his servants are sealed in their foreheads. Mm-hmm. Our church has to be ready to go through whatever, and I'll tell you right now, it's not. 
And and when you're looking at these, you know, we looked at Cain and Abel and the Enoch and whatever else. Mm-hmm. God's moving us to a place where his people are in that marching order, if you will. Well, interestingly enough, Noah obviously found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mm-hmm. But what was he doing? He was a preacher of righteousness trying to win souls from that generation. Yes. And when you say the church has to be ready, I think some teams people think like, oh, I mean, to just like be on the defensive and not sin and not break God's mm-hmm. law, which of course you shouldn't do. But you look at that Matthew 24, and this gospel is going to go to the world yes. in a the first angel's message, second So just like Noah was a preacher of righteousness yes. and a blameless man, we need that same experience now. Well, your concluding statement is right to this point. The yes. picture which inspiration has given of the antediluvian world presents too truly the condition to which modern society is fast hastening. Yes. It's going to be that issue between those who are obedient to God and those who are rebellious against God. Right. And there's a lot of nuts and bolts you can get into in the flood story, and there's a lot of different directions you can head. But there is this through line of mm-hmm. God's mercy, his justice, his love, and his his regard for us. And I don't know why, Mark, but he, in his wisdom, has enlisted us in his team, not just to mm. save us out and you stay in the corner and I'll take care of everything. He's like, now you get out and preach righteousness. You build yeah. an ark. You help do it. And so we have an, we have an active role to play in Amen. God's plans of redeeming this world before the destruction comes. And I think it's an exciting time to be alive. Amen. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the story of the flood. Tragic as it is, we also see woven all throughout it, your hand of mercy and your your great plans for us and your ideals for humanity. Lord, help us to be of that faithful line who will act only as your providence indicates and that we will never uh, uh, shirk from our duty, especially to give aid to others. We're living in a dark world and this, the flood, uh, the generation of that time reflects where this society is and is hastening to even more quickly. But Lord, let us somehow through your grace, shine like lights in a dark place. And let us, by your grace, also hasten the coming of Jesus. For we pray it in Jesus' name. 